0: Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marlin. I am Cameron Pura. Marlin, today, we've got it just meant more. We have a game of a couple new faces to the SEC. Relatively new faces, at the time at least. Texas A&M, Johnny Manziel, on the road against number five, Mizzou. Mizzou trying to clinch an SEC East title. Something that nobody nobody thought was going to happen going into this year. But in year two in the SEC, these two teams played in a much more meaningful game than we thought we were going to see.
1: Yeah, I did not... Um, this was a fun year. We talked about this before, this specific season, because I, I think like, we did the... When I did like the best teams never ever win a... Um, what do you call it? A title. I forgot how good this Mizzou team was. And they were not just... Like I think like, a lot of people think, it's like, all right, well, Mizzou has a really good offense because they were in the Big 12, or Mizzou had a really good defense because they had Michael Sam and and Shane Ray. They were such a really well-balanced team on both sides of the ball and just a very good football team.
0: They were, and one of those teams that, that coming into the year just was not on anybody's radar, and understandably so, because you're one of the SEC, yep. Mizzou wins five games, and everybody can write off Mizzou. It's easy. I mean, they were picked to finish sixth in the division. I mean yeah. the craziest thing about looking back at this game, and I, I don't give this enough credit, but the two teams that played for the twenty thirteen SEC Championship game with Mizzou and Auburn went a combined two and fourteen against the SEC the previous year. Yeah. Two and fourteen in conference play the previous year and then turn it around. Both teams were the turnaround stories. In college football that year. And Mizzou getting a chance to clinch the division on their home field against Johnny Manziel. You've got Brent and Kirk in the house. I mean, this is big-time stuff for a program that, uh, quite frankly, has not had a ton of those types of moments.
1: Uh, So I disagree. So I think we don't think that Mizzou has a lot of those moments. And what's unfair about this season, I brought this up several times, is the year before they come into the SEC, they lose – all five starting offensive linemen for the entire season lose their top six overall. They have a, they have a very difficult first year in the sec, but this is a team also that is about five years removed from being the number one team in the country. But no one gives them credit for that because they played in the big 10 and the way, or I'm sorry, the big 12 and the way they came in their first year in the sec. I mean, this is a team that like, ugh, you know what? I'll just, I'll say it. Me and Adam Spencer talked about this this weekend. Um, they have won two division titles since Tennessee has won their last division title. And at, this time, hadn't, at yeah. this
0: time though, hadn't won a division title just yet. Right. And obviously, like they, they had success. That yep. and, I, and I shouldn't say that they didn't have any success. The year that they had in 2012 was the anomaly. And if right. you would looked at what they did, they had six straight seasons of eight-plus wins yeah. before that year. And they had averaged 9.3 wins per year. Chase Daniel, mm-hmm. Blank Gabbert. I mean, they had some big-time prospects big-time years. Yeah, I mean, they, they had some moments where, like, wow, Mizzou. Okay, Mizzou is legit. But the problem was is that they're still kind of considered the program who is, like, not going to get over the hump. Like, they might have, like, a good season. But to be sitting there in the regular season finale with, Still a chance to play for a national championship. I mean, yeah. that is still on the table for the number five team in the country. Who you find out? And ah, I wanted to bury this a little bit, but it's inevitable. And they led the broadcast with it the same day as the kick six. And all yeah, of a sudden, so I everybody about that. <laughs> everybody's thinking, "All right, you don't have to face Bama. You're all of a sudden going to have to face Auburn." And that path for Mizzou. Looks a whole lot clearer than it did yeah. even 20 minutes earlier, you know, prior to this game, where it looked like, all right, you just assume Bama's gonna be in the SEC championship, a road to the national championship is going to have to go through yeah. Bama. I was wondering why. If there was a reason why you would remember the Mizzou Georgia game so much more than <laughs> this one, and now it makes perfect sense. So
1: and I and, and that's like the most perfect example of like subliminal feelings or subconscious feelings I guess because I, I I remember I was texting Jeff literally this morning my buddy who's the the, the Mizzou fan and and I was like why didn't I why didn't we watch this game together dude huge game huge Mizzou game we've we've been we we went to a Mizzou game earlier that year in Nashville for Vanderbilt uh like why would I have not watched that game with you and he was like are you serious or kidding and I was like what do you mean and he's like have you watch <laughs> the full replay I'm like yeah I'm watching it now he's like has anything weird popped up on the bottom line, and I, I hadn't even looked,
0: and oh. then like it, it was just
1: like constantly streaming too, and it was the like whole time. Yeah,
0: they did updates mid game with Reese Davis to be yeah. like, in case you somehow missed it, the kick six just happened, and the college football world has no idea what's going on. Yeah, I
1: so, and I tell you what, the, the most painful part of that you would think is just the kick six. I definitely, definitely, definitely forgot that. We had a fourth and one on the on the twenty nine yard line with five and minute, five minutes forty seven seconds to go in the game. Regardless, that is why I forgot that game. But also, the thing with the Georgia game is because like that that was like that game. I remember, I I've said this before on here, and this is like pat myself on the back, humble brag. I, when I that's the first year I started writing articles and doing my whole winning and boozing thing, and I I made that game. I was like Mizzou's going to beat Georgia, and it wasn't just because I was like trying to piss off Georgia fans. I was like. Georgia is not ready for this Mizzou team. Mizzou's going to be going to go into Athens and win, and that that game itself kind of started the whole topsy turvy, weird we- weird year in the SEC because it was mm-hmm. like it was just a you know October game. You know nobody was expecting that, and it kind of set the tone for the rest of the year of all these things that that happened throughout the season. And and the season ends in a way that we never would have thought coming beforehand. Like like if you would have started in the beginning of twenty thirteen or in the summer going into in, into that like the preseason magazines, everybody all anybody talked about was that second week of the year when it was Bama A and M, and if you're going to tell anyone that Mizzou and Auburn are going to play for the SEC championship and a right to go to the national title game, I mean, that's crazy. Wild, something that you
0: wouldn't quite believe. And the other important stat there about Mizzou that I that I meant to throw in. Um, with the why this was such a significant moment, this is a program that had entering this this season had one top ten finish since 1970. Mm. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So this having the chance to potentially play for a national championship after the year that was when their one loss was actually kind of fluky too because Who was they it had too? the it was South Carolina right. It was a South Carolina double overtime yeah. field goal off the crossbar, like all that. So that actually had prece- that was preceded by this four week stretch in which they beat Arkansas State. And Vandy, which Vandy finished the top twenty-five that year with James Franklin. People forget that. So that win ended up looking a little bit better by this point of the year. I was there for that. So they beat Right, exactly. So they beat those two teams and they beat Florida and Georgia, all of which by at least 15 points. Yeah. They weren't doing what Auburn was doing, where it felt like Auburn is just kind kind of getting this, you know, as you would say, this this fortune, this incredible fortune of good luck to be able to get past some of these games where it's like They'll just you never, you'll never convince me.
1: You'll never convince me ever, ever, ever in my life that that season alone doesn't prove that Auburn that God's an Auburn fan. And I know we've joked around about that before <laughs> on this podcast, but I mean, like, bro, like they, whatever. I'm not doing this today.
0: That South Carolina team was the team that was watching the scoreboard as he was playing Clemson, hoping Mizzou was going to lose yep. that game. Everybody knew it's it's Clowney's last year at South Carolina, and even though it was a bit of a letdown in terms of what he went through and you know, the playing, not playing, not, whatever yeah. it was. It they dominated was cons- Clemson, didn't they? Yeah, they they beat Clemson by two touchdowns that, that day. So South Carolina fans were kind of sitting there like, well, this Clemson game doesn't mean a whole lot because they already had two losses. So it yeah. wasn't like they were going to be going to a national championship. It was all dependent on being able to get to the SEC championship in order for them to have the season that they wanted to. But Mizzou prevents that from happening because, right. as we know as we know from rewatching this game, they won a great game with AM. And it was fun to watch the the back and forth and seeing at a place where you could tell it just meant a little bit something different. And I don't know if it was just the whole, you know, Brent calling the game, it's at night, it's a sold-out crowd at Frofield, and it just felt bigger. And it's so much yeah. different than the type of games that we've seen at Mizzou the last five years, really, mm. that this game kind of makes you forget about just how big of a high Mizzou was on in the early part of the 2010s. Well,
1: and, and we shouldn't, because we give credit to – we talk about all the time how, like, like, this is a program that has been cheated out of so many big moments. The fifth down against Colorado. Yep. Like, the, like, think of... Think, you tell me as an SEC fan, you you tell me how you would handle this happening to your team. They, I believe they had a chance to win the... Go to the National Championship or be in the National Championship that year in 1990. I could be completely wrong, but I know for a fact they were playing a team that ended up sharing the national title that year with Colorado. It of was course. 1990 or 1991. And the fact that like so what ends up happening is they get a goal line stand and the the official for whatever reason forgets to turn the down marker and Colorado gets an extra down they get a fifth down like they think if that happened in a bama game I Harvey Updike would have gone directly to that man's house and pulled a Carol Baskins immediately just saying just saying so they have that they have the Scott Frost stupid kick in the air touchdown in 97 where they should have beaten uh, nebraska who ends up also going for a share of the national championship they have so many moments in the 2000s uh, 2007 people forget this game day was in kansas city because it was a like, one versus three matchup or one it might have been one versus two against kansas 2008 they're playing i think again they might have been number one playing oklahoma the last weekend of the season in the uh in the big 12 championship game with another chance to go to the national t- uh national championship and we give them so much crap in the sec for why like for I mean like their their program, especially over the past thirty years, has had more has had better highs than you could say Georgia. You could say, well, not Auburn, I guess, because Auburn went to, went to the national championship. But like a a lot of Georgia Auburn, went
0: to a national championship as well.
1: Which, that's yeah. true. Yeah. So, but I mean, like, yeah. So maybe not Georgia, but like like I'd say probably over half the SEC.
0: I think that's fair. As for why they were always kind of given this, you don't belong sort of treatment. And this, this game, um, I don't know if, I don't think that's necessarily the reason. If you go back and look at when they first were invited to the SEC mm-hmm. and how all of that went down, when everybody's trying to figure out what in the world is going on with the Big 12, the Big 12 looks like it's about to explode. Mm-hmm. Texas is threatening, Texas and Oklahoma are trying to do their own thing, and Longhorn Network happens. Longhorn Network was what prompted AM yeah. to want to lo- to want to move and go to the SEC after they actually initially agreed that they were going to stay right. in the Big 12. But Mizzou was the throw-in team, so mm-hmm. to speak. And Mizzou had entertained the possibility of going to the Big Ten from a geographical standpoint. Made more sense. Made Basketball more sense school, than the
1: SEC. Academics. Yeah.
0: Yep. Did not fit the typical bill of the SEC in the way that AM did. And AM, when it comes into the SEC, has Johnny Manziel. Yeah. And 2012, this first year that they have where they show that they belong. And Mizzou, meanwhile, is all of a sudden the team that goes from being really good mm-hmm. and one of the nation's better teams to, oh, first year, you know, you win five games. And so we look back on those early beginnings and the two years that Mizzou had in 2013 and 2014 should have poured cold water on the fire takes saying Mizzou doesn't belong in the SEC. Without a doubt. The problem is that in the post-Gary Pinkle era, it's been so difficult... So difficult to rise above mediocrity and just the struggles to beat a ranked team. I mean, think about Disag- that. Yeah, like, yeah. Drew Lock beat one ranked team in his three years as a starter, three plus and years as a starter.
1: I and I agree with all that. But when we talk about it from the SEC and the teams that they get the most crap from, when you talk about Florida, and you know what, I, this is like saying Bloody Mary. Yeah, the it, Florida thing. But, I but agree. I'll say, but Florida fans, Tennessee mm-hmm. fans, Tennessee fans talking. What time are we at here? Thirteen thirty. Let's write it down. Tennessee fans talking. About about Mizzou and after getting beat 50 to 17 back to back years that takes some that takes some gumption man like that's crazy to me and then like the Florida fans too I, they they in my opinion they get the least amount of credit because when they came into the league they had the whole grown man football thing that Georgia went in there and and they beat the they beat the brakes off of them in Columbia and they had the they were holding up the signs said like this is grown man football because of something that was said in the offseason. that. That never happens when you don't lose all five starting offensive line. We make excuses for every other team, I think, in the SEC. You're like, well, it's easy to see why this happened versus like, you know, it should have happened because of this, this, and this. But with Mizzou, for whatever reasons, SEC fans don't want to do it. They're the furthest away. They're the, they're the first out of mind.
0: Mizzou is kind of like Mizzou and the relationship that it has with the SEC is almost like the, the, the saying about how don't try and go from intern to full-time employee at one, at a specific company, right? Okay. Because it's difficult for your bosses to think of you as anything other than that intern who had right. just started off. And it's tough to t- kind of change their perspective of how they think of you. Yeah. And when this move happened... And Mizzou is considered the team that is following a because the SEC wanted to have an even number of teams so that they could have divisions yeah. of 7-7 seven and seven with the, the SEC championship. They were also the team that wasn't coveted by the Big Ten as much as Nebraska was. Mm-hmm. And Nebraska was welcomed into the Big Ten. So Mizzou, fair or not, was considered the afterthought, even though Mizzou has had more football success than Texas a and Now, they don't have the money. They don't have the resources that Texas a and does. And that's the big difference. And they don't have the market. And so that has been the thing that has always, in my opinion, kind of worked against them. And this geographical, like, who are they? Because I I struggled with that as a senior in college when I'm picking, you know, the the schools that I want to go to. And I wanted to go to Mizzou. And Mizzou was my second choice. If I didn't go to Indiana, I was going to Mizzou. the best in the country. Best in the country. And I had really thought long and hard about it, but I was like, you know... I didn't really picture myself like growing up and going to a Big Twelve school. I don't really yeah. understand kind of the culture and the traditions and the history. You're further and away from was... Tim
1: Tebow, <laughs> exactly
0: right. You don't no, have that was Cardinals fans. It was it was going to be Florida south of the Mason Dixon. There what you was. go. was. Yeah, so, yeah. Subconsciously, I was like, I just can't be surrounded by Cardinal fans all the <laughs> time. That suck. Um, but I I remember thinking to myself, you know, if Mizzou was like kind of this this team that had been in the Big Ten for thirty years. I think I would think about them differently. And mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you that I that I would have definitively gone to Mizzou had they been, you know, in the Big Ten, because they were still like seven hours from where I grew up. Yeah. But I, I just kind of remember thinking Mizzou has this struggle for for an identity crisis, and they've kind of always dealt with that during this yeah. period of realignment. And for whatever reason, they have not been able to kind of get over that hump and be considered this like, Hey, you belong in the SEC despite the great year that they had in 2013 and then in that. 2014.
1: And I tell you what, and, and I can I will admit this a thousand percent. I will I will be a homer and I will stand for Mizzou way harder than I would for Bama on this podcast because it pisses me off that like as SEC fans like I always say this like try let's just try to be logical here for a second and talk about this in like a logical way and I feel like with Mizzou that goes by the wayside more than any other other team. But you're right, like they haven't had like even when they're in the Big Twelve, man. The Big Twelve used to be the Southwest Conference, and the, like, you remember like in the '80s. The Big 12 was, like, eight – it was – or not the Big 12, but at the time, it was, like, they had the Southwest Conference where they ended up, like, doing the realignment then with the Big 8, and it becomes – that had eight schools from Texas and then Arkansas. Yep. And so then they, they switched to the Big 12, and it's like, God, Mizzou – Mizzou's just kind of always on the outside looking in. And I, and I tell you what, I totally understand the Big 10 wanting to get Nebraska – like and and from a football standpoint especially, I think that's backfired tremendously because Nebraska hasn't done anything of note.
0: I disagree just because of the market. The market is still no, no, it's, it's, I,
1: I I agree with that. I'm saying it's backfired in terms of they brought them in thinking they were gonna they were gonna be a national relevant, not even power, yeah. but a nationally relevant team every year and they're not. And and I think when you talk, I mean, I, like I remember growing up watching some of those Nebraska, Oklahoma games. Nebraska, Texas, Nebraska, Colorado. The day after Thanksgiving was always my favorite with with LSU, Arkansas, and it bums me out that like the realignment and the, and the greed. And honestly, if we're gonna blame anyway, we're gonna blame that dumb steer Bevo because it's his effing yeah. school that did all this. Like they they kind of forced the hand of so many different conferences, and and in Mizzou is like one of these programs that, I again. It's the best journalism school in the country. It's a fantastic basketball school. They have a lot more football tradition than a lot of people will ever give them credit for. And But they've, they've become the guys on the outside looking in.
0: Without the Longhorn Network, Mizzou and AM are not playing in this game. This game that has no. huge implications. And we're going to get to it later with the uh, what would have happened if the result was flipped. But I'm just going to give you a little teaser right now. You're not going to like it. Not I'm not?
1: Like oh, it. boy.
0: You're not. We'll get um, to it later before we do that let's take a quick quick break and tell you about our friends at bet online
1: get on over to betonline.ag immediately if not sooner there's stuff to bet on this week connor we've got um ufc fights we've got korean baseball going on right now okay team samsung i don't know their i don't know their mascot they're 0 three it's been a tough time for me okay i gotta ease back into the sports betting but regardless at least the sports betting is there Get on over to betonline.ag today, set up an account, gamble on some sports, gamble on some table tennis, whatever you want to do, or do what I've been doing, make some extra money over there on the poker tables. Uh, they got a full casino. You can play a little craps. If you want to play some craps, play some craps. Get on over to betonline.ag. they got all of it for you today. So make sure you do that, uh, like I said, immediately, if not sooner. Let's get back into the game. You're waiting on me to give you a reaction for craps. And I was. I was really excited. I thought you were going to say something. But you didn't. God,
0: I no, crap I didn't. So much. Uh, you know, I don't know how to play craps yet. Still trying to figure out. don't know how to play out.
1: craps yet, man. You just you just put six, eight, and nine. That's all you got to do. Nice.
0: Um, all right. The cast, the directors, Gary Pinkle, someone who, uh, over the course of time in the SEC, maybe in all of college football, what he did at Mizzou kind of been forgotten uh, yeah. a little bit, to a certain extent had really, really showed during his time, his, his you know final years in the Big 12, that he was turning Mizzou around. Kind of a rarity for how we talk about coaches in this day and age. Mm-hmm. Really, really rare to see a coach last longer than a decade at a specific program, but was Mizzou's guy. Conference. Yes, very, very true. But not, not an easy thing to do to be able to yeah. survive 10 years in the SEC. Go ask Steve Spurrier about that. Um, very easy to write this program off after the five-win season, and kind of fed into this "nobody believes in us" type of mindset. As I said earlier, average 9.3 wins per year though from 2006 to 2011. He had this surprising announcement in 2015 about the non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I just remember thinking, "Well, that sucks for Mizzou, yeah. big time. I mean, that is a a really really tough loss to have to deal with when." I'm not sure that at, at at a place like that that they're going to be able to get some big name coach. And if you remember, kind of the fallout of what happened with the protests on campus and stuff immediately just
1: after, a, or it was immediately before this.
0: Yeah, just a, a messy year. 2015 was for Mizzou, and it sort of changed the landscape and. Gary Pinkle, when he was at Mizzou, you thought about that program in a different light. It's it's too bad that things kind of had to end the way that they did. Yeah. Because maybe maybe that contributes to how we
1: talk about him now. I mean, Connor, yes, I've never been more proud of something you've said on this podcast. Like that's yeah, and because again, I think that like it it just does them a disservice of how we do talk about them. But yeah, this was this whole thing was really bizarre because they also had like a pretty bad season in twenty fifteen. Didn't live up to expectations, all that kind of stuff. So. There was already some like kind of like some some rumblings of, amongst of like I guess like boosters on kind of stuff that he was going to be out the door, and then you have everything else that's going on at the time, with the protests and stuff like that. And I'm I'm not, not going to get into the protests because
0: isn't it, it weird was, though how how like Mizzou and South Carolina once their coaches had surprising decisions to to Mm -hmm. step down and some people would say that they saw Spurrier's decision coming but if you consider where they're at to start off 2014 and where Mizzou is at winning the division in 2014 it's kind of amazing to look at Mizzou and South Carolina and where Mm -hmm. they were at in 2013-2014 and then how quickly it changed for them and how, how much of a struggle that's been to get back to that level since that point it's just not an easy thing to do in the SEC.
1: No, it's not. And it, what sucks about it is that it, this, this whole conference and I think in college ball in general, there's a level of greed. I think that's like, that we kind of, I don't know that's that we kind of like breed this because of our keeping up with the Joneses mentality of like, well, that, that school's doing this. And I, and I, I'm not just trying to say this because it's the team I'm a fan of, but like Saban's really done this to a lot of schools. I think like what Dabo's done at Clemson has done this to a lot of schools. And this kind of very quick success, this this in like in a lot of it, has kind of bred this mentality of like, all right, well, if they don't do it in three years, they got to be out. And, and kind of having time to develop a program, kind of build a culture is kind of lost by the wayside. And that's not necessarily what happened with Gary Pinkle here because of the fact that, you know, he was there, like we said, for about eight years. But at the same time, there is, there is a level of, all right, well, if you're not doing it as well as this guy, you got to go and and in for a program like that, he did not get enough credit in my opinion.
0: Pinkel and Spurrier both got time. They got time to be able to to build it up. and they, they yeah. followed a, a much different path than than we're used to seeing it took a bit, but they, and you know what? Not every program has to do that. And with the money that's at stake now, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that programs have to sit there in year six, year seven and say, all right, I'm going to trust you to figure it out because yeah. the stakes are different now than it was in the early to mid 2000s. But Mizzou sticking with with Pinkle as their guy when I think he had like a really bad year three, year four. Had a really when really bad DUI. Yeah, he had a bad DUI. He didn't have that bad of a mugshot though. His mugshot could big, have been much worse. You know
1: why? Because Pinkel again. This is another reason why I don't think they got enough credit in the SEC. Big wine guy. Him and Tony La Russa. Big wine guy. So he got his DUI from Ugh, with having a little wine teeth.
0: Oh Tony La Russa sucks. I hate to give you too many anti-cardinal takes here, but not you a know, fan of that Both of, the,
1: both and of and your game. fan bases are really good baseball fans, and it blows my mind that you guys hate Joe so much because you shouldn't, and it's so stupid.
0: Hey, they're the smartest fans in sports. Let's hear more. They about are. That. No, they're not. Um, <laughs> Kevin Sumlin. We've talked about him before. We talked about him a little bit with the uh, 2012 AM Bama game that we did. The interesting thing about Sumlin in this game, and if you follow the ticker and saw more than just the kick six news, was that in year two, this is the regular season finale of yeah. year two, that day he had agreed to this new six-year deal. Why did he oh, agree yeah. to a new six-year deal, you ask? USC was reportedly interested, yep. the Texans, the Houston Texans of the NFL were reportedly interested in Kevin Sumlin and it prompted a despite the fact that they were in the midst of, let's be honest, kind of a disappointing season. I mean, this was their fourth oh, loss of the, of the year. And I realized they only had three losses at the time when they had agreed to this, and they had suffered two close losses early in the year. But coming off of the game that they had against LSU, where they had just gotten waxed, really for the first time in the Manziel era, and I don't know if that prompted maybe more people to like think that they could swoop in and get someone or something like that for you know cheaper on the dollar. Yeah. But for whatever reason, A and M decided that that was the time that they wanted to give Kevin someone this new six-year deal. And I think the the buyout, the ten million dollar buyout, was part of that where they had to pay that lump sum. I'm pretty sure if that wasn't renegotiated in 2013 when this came out, it was. This w- this was certainly a product that pushed them at least in that direction.
1: Yeah. I, so, and and my thing is this, I, and I'll I'll say this, forever. I don't care if you're Nick Saban. I don't care if you're. I don't know. Jesus Brad Christ. Dilma, Jesus. Honestly, yeah. If you're Jesus Christ, that's that's a better way to put it. If USC offers you a job to coach, you just go to USC. I mean, just flat out go to USC. And and you're right. This all happened, and partially because of that, because. USC was knocking on the door and he had two really good really good seasons because he had Manziel. I don't think he knew the window was closing, but it does go yeah. show you like how how fleeting these moments can be in college football. And especially when like you had a generational you got a generational quarterback. Like a like a once in a lifetime quarterback. Wins a heisman as a freshman, first one ever to do it. You got Cliff Kingsbury as your OC the first year, which that's my but I'll I'll just go ahead and ruin my my thing. I for, I forgot until rewatching this was that Cliff Kingsbury and Johnny Manziel were on the same campus at the same time, which is just unfair.
0: we t- no, not that, I mean he was gone this year. He was only no, one year saying, that he was there.
1: I know the year before.
0: Yeah. Um but we did but, that yeah. last time though. We 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 did like the in-depth Kingsbury, you know, his sideline reactions and Incredible how he, he was did. probably he and my theory my theory has always been that he had more of a hand in that offense than Kevin Sumlin. And yeah, Kevin Sumlin was kind of the guy who was getting a lot of credit for it. But you kind of realize, and even watching this game back, if it was Sumlin who had the the bigger um, the bigger hand in the play calling and uh, Jake Spivato, I think that was yeah. the yeah the OCU took over, but the ingenuity was not there, and no. maybe part of that was related to Manziel's health. We'll get to that, but Sumlin still I give him credit for catching in. He's his team was still before that LSU game was a top ten team late in November, despite the fact that. As what became the norm for AM, yep. the team went four and four
1: in SEC play. <sighs> so yeah, and, and I, I remember at one point, it might have been SDS that reported it, but this is before I started working for him, is is that I remember there was I forgot the record, but it was wasn't it like towards the end of his career, it was like two and fourteen or something like that in November or something oh, crazy. It was, and it was like, oh man, like how do y'all how do you do this? <sighs> just It's like me and fourth and point. wrong. I mean, uh, it's not Marler. Just, I mean, just <laughs> falling apart late. Anyway.
0: The A-listers. Let's start on the Mizzou side of the ball. There's a lot of first-team guys, all first-team all-SEC guys that we won't get to in this discussion. Jake yeah. Matthews, who we talked about before. EJ Gaines. Not going to spend a ton of time on EJ him. EJ Gaines. And, and Coney Ely as well. James Franklin, the Mizzou quarterback, who had four years in the system and... Had had his when he was healthy, he was looking good, and he had you know a moment a moment in the middle of the year where he had separated his shoulder, yep. so he Maddie that Mock. kind of allowed for Maddie Mock to come along and start playing more. But James Franklin in this game was still a, a veteran and somebody who was trusted a lot to make to make big plays. I don't want to say that he was like this player athletically. He's not. Oh God, he's not. He's not. Let that be known. He is not on this skill level at all. There were some Cam Newton-like tendencies with some of the things that he would do or some of the things that he would try and do in this game. Not to that success level, not saying yep. that, but when he, the way he kind of moved, I was like, that is a little newton S. Now, he didn't do the Newton things in the open field, just the, yeah. the backfield thing when he would kind of call his own number and what it looked like to try and tackle him because he was a big dude. I mean, he's big 6'2", dude. 6'3", 230, something like that, and Newton was a little bit bigger, but... You know, I don't want to say poor man's version of Cam, but yeah. for Mizzou, I mean, he he didn't have that kind of impact, but he definitely was somebody who was asked to do a variety of things, and they trusted him yeah. to have the ball in his hands.
1: So I said this to Adam Spinch the other day because we were talking about he he was fighting with Vault Twitter. It's just a theme for the week. On uh, oh Adam,
0: this take was not his best. This I take disagree. Was not his best. So
1: he brought up the thing about Peyton Manning. And he was talking about Chase Daniel versus Peyton Manning. Chase Daniel's numbers are better than Peyton Manning's. And I get they played in different leagues and all that kind of stuff. Different eras, too. Different eras, too. But Chase, yeah, but we've also gone over how many pass attempts that Peyton Manning had the year he should have won the Heisman. Fair, fair. But, like, the thing with Chase Daniel is, I think, the, the way that Missouri ran this offense, it was very frustrating the way they would they would try to run the football especially me and Jeff used to talk about this all the time and it'd be like it's these big sweeping jet sweeps where they bring somebody out wide in motion and then try to have this very long delayed handoff and and one of the things I think they had to learn early on in the SEC as much credit as I've given them one thing that they did not understand is this these long reads like these very time-consuming reads where they would they would that wasn't going to play in the SEC. <laughs> it's just not going to play when you have a D-end who's running like a 4-7. They didn't have the
0: speed to be able to make that play, whereas a team right. like Florida with Urban Meyer in the early to mid-2000s yeah. could make that work.
1: Well, and I think I honestly think this team did with guys like Marcus Murphy and, and, the, and the running style of Henry Josie. But also at the same time, they would they would get in these really weird wide splits on the offensive line where the, like the offensive line would be like, two yards apart from each other like the the offensive lineman it was really bizarre and 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 i just just remember they would do this and you'd see guys like marcel darius and uh, give me somebody else like jarvis jones and like all these other guys you're like what are you not marcel Darius, because they weren't the the thing at the same time but it was like what are you doing like stop doing this like they're obviously going to shoot right up through this gap so one of the things they did, though, in this offense, it was a very intricate offense, and I, and I I agree with Adam on this, the fact that Chase Daniel and James Franklin, I think, are the two most, un, this is a hot take here, Connor, the two most underrated quarterbacks at any major FBS, or any major Power Five school in the country all time. I, I think I think what Chase Daniel did and what James Franklin did in this offense, and maybe just because we discount Missouri, I think of the, the most underrated jobs at quarterback I've ever seen. Chase Daniel was darn good.
0: He was darn good. There are people <sighs> who really nobody as
1: offense well man. There
0: are people who really didn't like him in the state of Nebraska. I know that a couple of my Nebraska friends Why? will say, will tell you um, he had is he made. From there? No, he's not from there. I think he's from Texas. Is he from Texas? I want to see. Oh, is.
1: wasn't Chase Daniel the guy? Chase Daniel was the guy who was at South Lake Carroll before Greg McElroy. He started three years ahead of Greg McElroy. Yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense.
0: I think he made some sort of guarantee before a Nebraska game. And then just like Nebraska ended up beating him in this game or something like that. But anyway, long story short, yeah, they've had these underappreciated guys before. And James Franklin's kind of one of them. I mean, maybe yeah. because he only had like the one good year in the SEC. And he was kind of, you know, split in terms of when he was good in the Big 12. And um, they were obviously weren't as good in their first year in the SEC in 2012. But somebody who they needed in a game like this. And they, they felt comfortable with him having the ball. Yep. One of the guys who's throwing the ball to, and this is somebody that we've we've talked about briefly on the podcast before. We're going to go a little bit more in depth on him than we ever have. Dorio Green Beckham, oh, DGB, man, number one no, recruit. DGB, <laughs> uh, not really, not really. Um, number one recruit in twenty twelve. He was the number eight recruit all time. He still is in the twenty four seven sports recruiting rankings era.
1: Isn't that insane? Number like, eight all time of everyone of everyone.
0: Of every. No, no no no! He's Mizzou's number one recruit of all time. Like yeah. really close.
1: Well, uh, I, well, it's gotta be close.
0: Number one. He's number one. Mizzou's never had the number one recruit in the country.
1: No, but they've had five stars. They had who's the kid? The, they've the, had five stars, not the who's number the, one recruit. Who's the, no, but they had they had one that was like top two or three. The the defensive tackle that used to return punts. It's like I'll look it up. Go ahead, keep talking.
0: Doyle Greenbeckham comes to Mizzou as a, a local kid who just has sky-high expectations, and understandably yeah. so. F- showed flashes of it as a freshman, but starts to really kind of come into his own a- as a sophomore in this offense and was just such a lethal red zone target. I mean, dude. at that size, 6'6", six, 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 like, dude was practically a tight end. I mean, let's, let's kind of call it what it is. Re- big red zone guy, 12 touchdown catches, um, in in that 2013 season second team all SEC the way that he kind of would go over the top on like he did on that first touchdown catch of this game yeah that that was the stuff where you're like okay this kid is just that Delights. that's the different kind of talent he the way that he moves at that size is so impressive and to be honest, that's what prevented him from being considered a tight end as opposed to a receiver when you just want to line him up outside and see
1: what he can do. Yeah, Sheldon Richardson is who I'm thinking of,
0: and he Sheldon Richardson was on the 2012 team yeah. and then was one of their key departures going into 2013.
1: You don't remember this, but he he went back in the, <laughs> the U.S. Army All-American game and returned to kick like <laughs> boss. He's like six. Hold on, he's six four two ninety, and he went back and returned to kick. I, yeah, really, but you're right. I didn't realize. I didn't realize DGB was number one overall. I, number one. That's overall. crazy.
0: Wow. You knew though at the time that he was troubled already by that yeah. point because he had the drug suspension in the middle of his freshman year, and this this was actually his last regular season game at Mizzou, which is kind of crazy to think about too because he went to Oklahoma after this, oh, and basically just did that because he was going to have to he had to sit out a year because of NCAA transfer rules, but basically sat out a year and then declared for the NFL draft and was just on the scout team there. How bad of shape? do you think you really got for him in order to be kicked off of Mizzou at a place that I know that they, you know, they're an academic institution. They value that highly, but kid from St. Louis, five-star kid, such a rare type of recruit for that program to be able to get. And for them not to find a way to, for it to work, he had to have had even more legal issues than we even knew
1: about. I, yeah, I get that. But at the same time, I, I, that's that's a it's a program that like didn't really like they don't, I don't think they really put up with a lot of stuff like that and at this time well this is well before the uh the protest but I, I don't I don't know I don't know if, like if it was any other SEC school and maybe this is just me being naive and it honestly very well could be I, I would agree with you but I don't I don't know I feel like they they're above the board on a lot of stuff right I, don't I think mean, the backup was just, quarterback was dealing cocaine. So it's like, I mean, maybe you're right. Allegedly, according I don't know. to that video, yeah. Not allegedly. He was a 1,000% yeah, yeah, yeah. doing that. <laughs> so, so. The
0: the tough thing, though, with with thinking about that, because you, you see the talent on display, that's not yeah. to say that that, ta- that talent is worth covering everything up for, but I can't imagine that he was just failing drug tests for weed. I can't imagine that no. was the only thing. There's, there's just... There's gotta be there's there's gotta be more to it than we probably even realized at the time. And that's the tough thing to look back <clears throat> on his career because he was good. He was good, and you can't teach some of those skills that he had. Yeah. Michael Sam, somebody who unfortunately became in a way like Tebow 2.0 just because of the fact that he was a lightning rod for conversation. And he turned into this poster child for the LGBT community. Mm -hmm. And people more so than getting sick of Michael Sam himself got sick of the Michael Sam coverage, which was the case with Tebow. It was for like a solid year, everything that he did was was seen through a microscope. And it's too bad because... What did that overshadow? The fact that he was so good—he so good. was so good in 2013—and it's like it's a bummer that somebody whose career was, I mean, just one of the, one of the maybe underappreciated on-field guys, SEC Defensive Player of the Year, and ends up not being drafted until the sixth round. And obviously, his sexuality was a big pre-draft story. That's when all this stuff kind of came out. He had told you his imagine teammates Imagine if it before, happened
1: this year. My ah, God. Trey Wingo I you know maybe we need to go back and see actually I don't because I remember it being like it, it's weird when you say the tebow thing because of just the nature of what we know um uh, like the, the the two differences just they, the
0: attention yeah yeah
1: and you're and you're a thousand percent right about that but I mean yeah it like <laughs> I can't imagine like this year how they would have been like you know and another thing about Michael Sam just say he's good at football man he was a really good football player. And
0: I get why he was seen as this um, th- this person who kind of transcended sports in a way mm. because this is still such a very new thing at, at the time, and I get why activists on that side were going to want to come out and support him because yeah. this was somebody who was you know was was in the national spotlight. It wasn't just like he was some guy who was you know sitting there on the end of the bench and he comes out of the closet. This is somebody who. Had a, had a national following to that point, and for him to to come out, it was yeah. seen as this this thing that everybody wanted to cover. And that was at a time when I think ESPN had a, a a serious misstep in the mid part of of the decade in terms of their coverage and what they were looking for. Where not to go, Clay Travis, not to go Clay Travis, no, no, but but trying to be the the woke sports, yeah. you know, sports center when people weren't looking for that. And, like, I like Michael Sam, yeah. like, what he – you know, like, I like being able to watch him on the field and stuff like that, but it got to a point where anytime you see him on the TV, you're just like, I'm flipping the channel right now because yeah, I'm sick I'm over of talking it. about this. Yeah. I'm over it.
1: I don't think it's – I think it's probably the worst kept secret in the world on this podcast that I'm pretty liberal, and I I completely agree with you. Like, watching it, it was like – I mean, because and, – and this is partially because of somebody that watched, watched it happen in the SEC is – there was such there were so many better storylines from this kid like i mean they, yeah. like well i mean and i get that that is like the most sensational of of the storylines but it's like dude this guy he had double digit sacks i mean he was the he was the the guy on that on that team like not and not just and you know it was really the the only cool thing about it not the only cool thing about it but like one of the cool things about it is his team knew
0: his team knew it, the entire season. Yep. His
1: team knew the entire effing season. I got goosebumps right now. His team knew the entire effing season, which is really cool, and shows you how close knit that group was where it didn't come out. And this is like in an age when like, you know, on the adverse side of that, you see Johnny Mansell on like Twitter and like, you know, just stuff popping off all the time and stuff coming out. This was this was really interesting. I just I completely agree with you though, and it's it was one of the first examples of where ESPN can tend to go wrong in terms of their coverage of, of how they were they were building a narrative about about a player
0: a misstep a misstep definite misstep speaking of johnny Manziel, different way that we're talking about him at this point of his career where kirk herbstreet says on the broadcast he hinted several times and you know what i bet happened was everybody in that a&m building was telling her herbie like look his kid's gone. This he's yeah. not sticking around that for this year, not just because of the tweet in the offseason about how he couldn't leave to leave college station, all that stuff. They knew that he was going to be out, out the door at that point. Yeah, year two as a starter, though, and he's not playing the game with the same sort of joy that he had played it with the year before. And maybe part, part of that was because he had this thumb injury, and it's not like he's competing for the Heisman Trophy in the same way or a yeah. national championship and maybe just the grind of what he kind of went through in the last 365 days much of which was self-induced just yeah. kind of got to him. I noticed a very very different Johnny Manziel in this game than the one yeah. that we, you know, the one that we covered a month ago.
1: It was I think the best way to put it is like it was it was like a joyless person. Like he he wasn't he was not having the same amount of fun that he that he had the year before and you know, I don't know if that's I I don't know why that is. I'm sure that he had reasons, but it was, he was very a, upsetting.
0: You remember like after the 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 famous what's the name of the the play against Alabama? I mean, it's just kind of know, the play I don't that think he's known
1: for. It. I think it's just he did it. But you remember after <laughs> we that didn't do play, a painting about that one. <laughs> you
0: you remember after that where he he goes up to to Cliff Kingsbury and he does like the side jump and yeah. he is fired up. Yeah you watch him even after the touchdowns that he scores in this game and i don't know if it's just cuz it's a cold night at mizzou or something like that but it's like a single fist pump and he's like it's almost like relief when yeah. he scores a touchdown and you see him he he's old. ripping into teammates yeah i mean he just looks looks older and it looks like what he's gone through is just changing the way that he thinks about football and maybe yeah. that's looking too far into it but probably i probably. i definitely picked up on that after watching how noticeably different it was even in the good moments in this game.
1: Yeah. I think so, for me, it with him especially, it's – it's t- I don't know. Like, it's tough to – he's such a complicated person, so I don't want to, like, get too into his, like, psyche or whatever. Um, but there is a noticeable difference. And and, and and part of that is because you look at the season before, there were no expectations. Like, that was a – like, a rags-to-riches, worst-to-first type deal, even though they weren't the worst. But you know what I'm saying? Like, there, there, there's, there's no expectations – He was able to shock the world. This year, he had the weight of, like, the world, (laughs) like, on him, it seemed like. You know what I mean? It just wasn't the same.
0: I think he still wanted to finish his career on a good note. And what he did against Duke in that bowl game, Capital One, that's a fun one to go back and watch, just because of the the comeback and all the points that were scored in that game. But and he still does flash moments. He still flashes <laughs> yeah. moments in this game where you see him escape pressure and he steps up in the pocket and he can just deliver some dimes. I mean, yeah. the skill is is still absolutely there, and you still see that, just not in the same way that we were you know we we're watching a
1: year earlier. I I told Allie this this morning. We were I was watching the I watched like the full one the other day, and I wanted to watch like the brief one today and. And we were, like, like the 15-minute, 18-minute one. You know? Yeah. So we are like, watching that. And uh, first off, shout out to Allie, because she was like, ooh. And I was like, what? And she made this, like, really weird noise. I was like, what was that? And she was like, college football theme song. And I was like, yep. go on. Yep. <laughs> it's our first dance, baby. <laughs> um, so, but, but this, like, this thing with, I remember, like, Manziel. So I had to work New Year's Day that that year at Houston's and I remember being so pissed because there was like some girl was late and it was obviously like everyone wanted to go the night before, nobody wanted to be there on New Year's Day and it was just the whole thing. And this girl comes in and she's like wearing like sunglasses and just like obviously hungover and, and we're, but we're all having to be there so I'm like pissed. Like I get it, if anybody gets being hungover it's me but I was like come on, like we're all having to be here. And she was like, Ugh. I just was like out until like five in the morning with some football players and I was like what? And I'm, like, instantly trying to think, like, the Peach Bowl was in town. What is she talking about? And she was, like, a pretty girl. (laughs) And she goes, she's like, Chris, you like football. some guy named, like, Johnny Manziel? And I was like, shut the up. There's no way you were out with Johnny Manziel. And she pulls out her phone. She's just chilling at Waffle House off Lindbergh with Johnny Manziel. And I was like, God, dang it. You can do anything you set your mind to if you're pretty.
0: Johnny (sighs) Manziel, do you think that he, even after, I get, yeah, he's in Atlanta. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna say, is Johnny Manziel' time went on pretty good even after the Capital One Bowl, or the Peach Bowl? My bad. Yeah,
1: I mean, I can tell you firsthand, not firsthand, but secondhand from a firsthand account, he definitely did. He definitely did. That game Mike ended it at like eleven thirty. He was just like, "Let's go." When,
0: it, when in Atlanta, they always say. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mike Evans had really come into his own by this point as a redshirt sophomore. He was well-established as one of the top NFL draft prospects. But in this game with EJ Gaines draped all over him, he did nothing. Four catches for eight yards. And part of that was because Manzel couldn't really stretch the field in the way that we're used to seeing him do. The thumb injury might have played a part. But EJ Gaines, man, there was no no room to be found for Mike Evans. Very rare to watch him struggle like
1: that. This defense was. This is what I kept saying earlier. It's like, like, you, you, Michael Sam was the guy, but this defense and this offense were really legit, man. It wasn't. It wasn't like you would think that on a team like this, in a way that this team is like remembered. It would be like, well, Michael Sam took over and had you know a thousand sacks, or DGB had a thousand yards receiving. No, man, there was talent all over the place. EJ Gates, like, I mean, Coney Ely was on this team. <laughs> Coney Ely, Shane Ray, and Michael Sam were on the same defensive line. Shane Ray wasn't
0: even that good in this game. No, he wasn't. <laughs> he wasn't. And this year. The breakout performance. Like, oh, uh, yeah. The breakout performance. I only have one uh, I for this. hate you so much
1: for this. I knew you, I knew as soon as I saw this kid and he's wearing the same effing number, you were going to do this. Travis Labhart.
0: <laughs> Ryan Swope 2.0. No, he's not. He's very, very <laughs> different physically. Same number, right? I don't think it was. I don't think it was. He wasn't 25. It wasn't twenty-five. There was I'm a white sure.
1: receiver wearing number twenty-five.
0: Uh, I don't think that was—I don't think that was Travis Lapard. Had a team-high eighty-one receiving yards in this game. If you—if you—if you're wondering why that name sounds familiar and you didn't consume any sort of AM football in 2013 alone season that he played there, you might remember him from Hard Knocks. Uh, tried to he, his story was kind of chronicled when he was with the Houston Texans, and they kind of followed his journey up until when he got cut by the team. Yeah. Um, but he was the guy who actually went off in the in the Chick Fil A Bowl. He had three touchdowns in that game. Cool backstory too. Former walk on kid. Brent was talking about that um, on the broadcast. He was cut from the basketball team, and then he's like, I think it was his high school coach or something said, "Why don't you go try and play football? You're always really good at football. You should definitely try and do that." And then, I mean, he becomes Johnny Manziel's go to target in this game with Mike Evans unable to, to do anything. And you know, built for this game in which a and doesn't have Malcolm Kennedy and Menzel's doing all of these short throws, kind of was the guy who just always found a way to get open.
1: Yeah, he's number fifteen.
0: So not twenty-five. Fifteen's yeah. acceptable. You can That's have a number less. in the teens. Not as that is frustrating for he you. He looks
1: like a. He looks like a young Blake Shelton. He looks awful. No. No. Yes, I'll post a picture of it today. <laughs> I know, I know it, what Travis looks like.
0: Nah, he's not Blake Shelton. He doesn't have the flow that Blake Shelton does. Oh man! All right, keep going. Yeah. All right, prominent extras. We just talked about him before. Shane Ray, the Mizzou linebacker, who. Was really good in 2014, but in 2013, eh, not there yet, not on that level. Not great, Bob. Didn't have any tackles. Yeah, he he was he was banged up in this game too. He collided into his own guy in the first quarter, and I think he came back. He came back in shortly thereafter. But his most notable moment in this game was a running into the kicker penalty. So not great. Yeah. Oh, it was punter, a punt early first, on. Yeah, yeah, it was
1: early on too, and, and it was weird too, because like, and that's. Whatever, we'll talk about it in a second. But th- that was like my least, that was like the worst take or whatever for me because of something that, that Musburger said. But that was weird too because it ended up giving them a fourth and one they went for. Anyway, doesn't matter.
0: Matty Mock, the Mizzou quarterback who became known for something off the field that we've discussed before. Listen, don't really it did. is
1: hard to get a job as a as a college athlete. I've said it before several times. You can only make a certain amount of money. You can only work 12 hours a week. This man dabbling in in the truck world was just... You know, it, you, it takes confidence, Connor. And that's something you we should tip the cap. Tip the cap.
0: Tip the cap to the drug dealer. All right. Said by Marler. Mizzou, it seemed like Mizzou was trying to keep him happy a little bit with some of the yeah. rotational stuff that they were doing with him. Not that inventive, but brought him in essentially for like a series and then kind of rotated him out because he had played really well in the absence of James Franklin in the middle of the season, went three and yep. one, but only had three plays in this game became a, a much better player and, and more significant contrib- contributor for Mizzou's 2014 division title team than he was in 2013. But somebody just has a, a brief moment in this game. You just sent me a picture of Travis Laphard. He's not Blake Shelton. Look okay, at his, a little, Look a at tiny that smile. Bit. <laughs> yeah, a that's tiny <laughs> bit. All right.
1: I can see that. Not Hail Definitely doesn't man. have the flow. Doesn't have the flow. Chew to uh, back, chew to back, chew to back a spit. Worst song ever. Anyway, moving on. Worst song ever. There is
0: much worse than that. That's true, yeah, mu- Shelton's hims- Blake Shelton himself has much worse than that. <laughs> <laughs> Anything Blake Shelton has had in the last four years has been it's really trash. Really yeah. bad. It's <laughs> taken a severe turn. Yeah. Craig, right. Kula, Craig Kuligowski, Craig aka Coach Cool, the Mizzou defensive line coach, who is kind of the, what's the right way to say this? Is it fair to call him a Dude, defensive line man. guru? He was the yes, man. Yes, it is. He,
1: he was like he was responsible for so many incredibly talented people that no one gives him credit. For. Like, well, yep, he, he doesn't get enough credit for. It. Like, if, if this was, if this was a D line coach, this is this would be like the running back coach at Georgia if he was there forever. Yeah. Like this guy had Musa Smith and this guy had Thomas uh Brown and and Alden all Smith. these other guys. Yeah, like like just wait who'd you say? Alden Smith? Oh, I thought you said Emmett Smith. I was like, No. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, who's the and, and I should know this because I met him at the <laughs> at the twenty fifteen SEC championship game and I was hammered, and so was he. Um white dude that played defensive lineman, I think for the Niners for years, had a Budweiser tat. On his Gail Garrett. No, that's No. It. <laughs> it's no, it's like J- Jason it's like something Williams? Jason Williams.
0: Not Jason know. Williams. He played basketball for Duke. Yeah. Uh the other Jason Williams killed the guy. Um also yeah, was Yeah, it wasn't him. Um uh, I think I know uh was it Justin Smith?
1: Yes, that's exactly who it is. Oh. Okay.
0: Yeah, everybody knows Justin Smith. Um but Craig Kuligalski is this guy who's doesn't get any any sort of screen time or anything like that, but it was, it's, it, following his career, it's been a big deal kind of wherever he's gone. When he went to Miami right. and joined, yeah. uh, joined forces with Mark Rick, that was, that was huge at the time when he, when Miami, when Alabama poached him from Miami in 2018, that was a big deal. Spent 2019 um, laying low and he's at, he's actually at Toledo now. He's a co-defensive coordinator. I reached out to him because uh, follow him and vice versa on Twitter. Yeah. And um, he follows me on was, Twitter. Yeah. I don't know why. I have no idea why. But uh I, I, I exchanged some DM messages with him he told me that they actually basically had like the same exact game plan against am in 2012 did not have the bodies to execute it they were pretty yeah. banged up in 2012 It's so, like one year we helped Manzel win the Heisman because it was the regular season finale and then the other year they come out firing and they clinched the east as a result yeah. of containing Manzel. So it was just a just a really fun night for for his program and think about what that guy has been working toward for for such a long time and to see his defensive line and michael sam winning sec defensive player of the year that had to be a really really big moment in the course of his career
1: um let me give you some other ones henry josey trey carson Well, more henry
0: josey later too
1: yeah um henry josey trey carson uh bud sasser like now hold on i'm forgetting his name i already said it earlier who was number two
0: Oh, uh, Lada- was it Ladainian? No, Ladainian Washington? Washington's
1: another one. That yeah. is Lada- that was number two. That's not what I'm thinking of. Who was the punt returner? And 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 all I can think of is is and I know this is not his name, and it's gonna piss off Mizzou fans. And I hate to I hate to do it, but all I can think of is Markeith and Marcus Morris. It's 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 the punt returner <laughs> you a,
0: of all the people to say you have to pick like a Kansas villain.
1: I, that's what I'm t- I, I, They're <laughs> the worst. I hated them. I hate Kansas. They're about to be in so much trouble. Um, no, he was the punt returner. Hold on, Mizzou. Conter Turner, this is fun, guys. It's in real time. Um, Marcus Murphy. There we go. Yeah, that, I mean, again, this team don't give them enough credit. Uh, no one talks about the injuries, but they had so many really good players that were that were like you said earlier, all SEC caliber players that people just for whatever reason have kind of forgotten about. So
0: this is true. This is true. The story arc. Favorite line from the broadcast
1: oh that's good
0: the very first line you are looking live from ferro field in columbia missouri pretty good
1: musburger there thank you
0: give me brent right now he can call korean baseball dude he can call darts i don't care give me brent when i heard those opening words i was like I'm in a happy place as long as I am locked in watching this, knowing that Brent is just going to be there. We haven't done any games for Just Meant More with Brent until right now. If I'm not mistaken, right? This was the first one. He
1: he wasn't allowed to be on a lot of games after that AJ McCarron thing. So it's like, no, a lot lot of the games we picked have been CBS games. Yes. That's honestly why. Um, Yeah. So my favorite line from the broadcast when he was like, my God. If you're a young quarterback in Alabama, I mean you just go look whoo she is. No, I'm it's kidding. Not that game. <laughs> not that game. Um, we should do that game though. Uh my so my favorite line from the broadcast is at the very end, he says, They've warned the fans to stay off the field. Good <laughs> luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was such it was said in such like jest and it was so funny. And because and, and, you know what's weird about this is he's with Herb Street, which is yeah. like it's two icons, and and but it never it never felt like those two should do games together, for me. It, it it was like they're both great in their own individual aspect. Herbstreet is fantastic with Fowler. We all know that Musburger is fantastic in general. He's been great like through the years too, man. It, it's you, ever, you know what's funny real quick. Let me get on a tangent here. I've been watching, like, like they showed, like, the old Braves World Series, and they've shown some other stuff I've seen from, like, the 80s, like, basketball games that you've seen from like, the, the Jordan Dock. Hearing Vern Lundquist's voice doing the Pistons-Bulls game, like, conference finals game on CBS from back in the day, or hearing, like, Musburger do these games from, like, the 80s, it's crazy how many things they covered. Um, that being said, Marv Albert you know,
0: was still... I mean, Marv Albert's the GOAT in terms of basketball. Analysis. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. He's the but voice like, of my childhood.
1: That's, yeah, it's totally fair. It's like, well, that's when NBC took over most of those games, too. But, like, yeah. the fact that CBS was show, CBS had the World Series? Like, what? Right. Um, anyway, so... Uh, Musburger, in general, is great. But him and... <laughs> him and Herbstreet, and I hate to say this, they had so much more of a uncomfortable, drunk uncle type of vibe that it was... Like, like Herbstreet viewed Musburger... Like, like, the stuff he was saying, it was like, edgy your seat, he's gonna say something messed up here. And and I just I I I loved every minute of it, man. It was it was really really funny.
0: They they worked a lot together during yeah. that time, and they did national championships together as well. But I don't think of them as this all time duo for whatever reason. And both both I think are tremendous at their jobs. And I think I think Herbie as a color guy is really really good, and he could break things down in real time. That just kind of blows me away sometimes. But I don't think of them as this this iconic. Duo, and maybe part of that is just because the the duo that we that we know in the SEC so well, Vern and and Gary, has just become so synonymous. Even though obviously, like we'll take Herbie over Gary any day of the week, any day. And we'll probably like to be honest. If we're talking about who's a better actual announcer, I mean, Brent is better than Vern. I mean, that's not that's an indisputable thing. You might like listening to Vern a little bit better, and he's going to kind of entertain you in a different way. But Brent is better at his job than Vern is. I, I don't think yeah, is, I
1: would agree. Well, with football especially.
0: With football especially. But I did find myself being like, ah, you know. CBS. You got to wonder
1: if he's got a chemical on balance with uh, what's going on. I need that comic relief.
0: need that comic yeah. relief. The coldest take from the broadcast, also in the first minute of I the hate broadcast. You. I'm sorry. I have, to, I have to say this. Mizzou fans showed up to the stadium holding up signs that said, we want Bama. They had to cross them out. They had to cross them out, and instead put them. They had to change it to Auburn because this was just minutes after the kick six had happened. I, I have you have to know that while you're watching this game because, Mizzou in terms of the things that could have gone right on this night, they hit. They all hit. They hit the they hit the parlay of things that could have gone right, and I don't know what it was in real time. But it couldn't have been more than than a few minutes. And like maybe maybe, it, less than a half hour removed from the kick six happening to when this game started. And I'm sure it changed how Brent had to be able to pivot and Herbie as well to know like what they were talking about. I'm sure they had a ton of notes yeah. prepared for Bama and then all of a sudden have to pivot and be like, oh, well, actually, this is potentially going to be a game of two teams that nobody thought would be anywhere near the SEC no. championship.
1: Yeah, all right, cool, man. Was, all uh, right, we'll move on, so. we'll move on.
0: Uh, the Jadavian Clowney reminder that normal people don't play this game. Damian Washington, a guy that we just talked about. He catches this fade in the corner of the end zone that until you slow it down, you don't realize the body control. And it was it's one of those plays that when you watch it in real time, you're like, no, he didn't do that. There's no way that right. can be a real catch. And so I almost think like the officials just ruled it wasn't a catch because they're like, nah, that that looked too good to be able to get a foot in balance and to control the ball, and it was initially ruled incomplete. And Washington kind of freaks out and he's like, no, 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 like go go review this yeah, right now, I just it made right it, now. I love it when guys do that when they know that they just made some insane play yeah. and they're like, all right, coach, like let's let's get a second look at that because I definitely caught that and ruled a touchdown after the review. Very big important play in the game. Allows Mizzou to take that twenty-one to fourteen lead.
1: Um, well, it wasn't going to be the Andrew Baggett missed field goal because, as a Bama fan, that was, you know, it was nice to see somebody miss a field goal that went past the uprights into the stands that night. I will say that. Anytime you can miss a field goal and it goes out of the field of play, that's that's what we're going for. I'll say boss. that. Boss move, boss move. Wish we could do it. Wish inside jokes. Can't <laughs> wait to be a part of one someday. <laughs> um, so. so My, my, uh, no one play, this, this honestly wasn't like, it wasn't even that spectacular. It didn't even go for a first down, but it was with nine minutes and 24 seconds to go in the third quarter on third and like 12 or something like that. It was like a nine yard pass. Johnny Mantel drops back and and there's no one open and he kind of like flutters his feet is the only way I know how to say it to his right. And you could tell it was like to set something up, but he did it in this like very slow deliberate way that you was like he's gonna get sacked like what's he doing mm-hmm. and then of course just rolls back left and across his body hit somebody right on the sideline i think it might have been evans on the catch and just like perfect catch inbounds. it's like to like like you know what do you call it like, toe tap it was just it was like such good football it was good coverage it was good it was it was a great job coming back to your quarterback as a receiver rolling out like manzel just did so he did so many things that were and in this game, he wasn't that sharp. Like he no, he, did, he was not. He had a couple. He had one pass that I remember. Like, <laughs> I got kind of pissed about because he was like rolling to his right. It's the first half. He's rolling. I think it might have been the first quarter. Rolling to his right, and then there's like they did such a good job of containing him on the D line, and and so then he he kind of just takes two steps back and off his back foot, just heaves up a pass, and it goes just out of bounds. And I was like, see that kind of that kind of. <laughs> right there was exactly what happened the year before with with bama would be like that would have been tipped somehow back in bounds they would have caught it and then and that would have been like the end of the game but anyway it was just it was really impressive the stuff he did on the football field he made he made everyone else look like they were in slow motion and he did everything effortlessly
0: there are very few quarterbacks who when they're going to the opposite side of their their throwing arm you actually get more worried with what they're capable yeah. of doing. Pat Mahomes is one of those quarterbacks as well, when even when he's going to his left, you're like, he is capable of making a, a, a ridiculous throw, and it doesn't really matter. He doesn't necessarily have to have his feet set. As long as he gets his shoulders squared, he's going to be fine. Yeah, Manziel was so good at that. And even... I didn't pick on that, pick up on that as much watching the Bama game. I picked up on that more so watching this game where mm-hmm. they were eager to get him out of the pocket. They didn't want him necessarily throwing in a situation where he could re-aggravate his thumb and he's throwing it you know, in the pocket as much as possible. And the, the goal after the week that he had just had against LSU, who LSU did such a great job containing him, keeping him in the pocket, Mizzou tried to do that as well. They wanted to get him on those situations where even if it was slow and deliberate and he was going mm-hmm. across his body, it didn't really matter. But he was so good at making those throws. And that's the thing that I thought would translate to the next level more so than it did. And it just kind of didn't for whatever did reason. Yeah, that's fair. The Trent Richardson, I can't believe they didn't make it in the NFL. Obvious. Obvious, no doubter. Yeah. yeah. It's DGB. Still a second-round pick despite the the – disappointing college six, career six. that he had. I get it. I get it. Guys have fallen in the draft before that have had less issues than DGP. Yeah. But you're right. He's 6'6", and he was given he get the opportunity. by the
1: the get the Eagles? Oh, he got drafted Titans, by the Titans.
0: Titans, and then the Eagles picked him up after the Titans cut him for after one year. Spent two years in the NFL. That's it. I mean, that's it. And I remember even when the Eagles picked him up, there was still hope like, hey, even though this guy's troubled and he's had off-field issues, if he gets right, look out, because he is a physical freak and does things that you can't quite teach at yeah. the wide receiver position. It's it's a shame. It's a shame because that dude failed a lot of drug tests. We know that. Over under five and a half drug tests that he failed. Is that real? I mean, it's it's got to be. It's way over, if, right? But,
1: like, whatever. If it's weed, I don't care. I just, I mean, I don't. Uh, but, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, the but, I know the that sounds bad. Is... That sounds bad after I said tip of the cap to the drug dealer, which was obviously a joke. But, yeah. I mean, I I, I agree. Maybe there, was, maybe there was an issue at Mizzou with Matty Mock. Shane Ray also failed multiple drug tests, too.
0: Kind of makes you wonder.
1: Yeah, that was my that was my player that didn't turn out in the NFL. Because I knew you were going to say DGB with good reason. So, I, that was the second one I had. But, uh, I mean, I, and honestly, Manziel. Like, Manziel, like... I hate to say it, I think a lot of people that know the sport better than I do and can scout and stuff like that were like, yeah, this isn't going to play. But, like, you know, I, I remember watching his combine and being like, he ran like a 4.68. And and I was like, well, that's that's interesting because he outruns way every, faster." Yep. Yeah, he outruns everyone on the field. And it's like – I think there's a difference between game speed and all that kind of stuff, but he it, – it, it just blows my mind that there wasn't a place for him – but he did everything in his power to make sure there was not like he, he just, he did everything he could to sabotage himself. And I hate to say that. And like, I'm not trying to ever pile on Johnny Manziel because I I love Johnny Manziel. And and like, listen, if if there's anybody that can, (laughs) there's there's anybody that could be like, he was Joe Namath 2.0. He's Joe Namath with social media. And, and like if, if Johnny Manziel would have come around in the sixties, not just because of his athletic ability, if he would have been around in the sixties, there would have been a place for Johnny Manziel in the NFL.
0: Oh, absolutely. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. It's interesting to think that, and correct me if I'm wrong here. You're wrong. <laughs> despite all the talent in this game, there's there's a lot. This game wasn't that long ago. 2013, seven yeah. years ago. Not not that long ago. Six and a half years ago. I think there's only two guys from this game who are still doing things in the NFL, and it's EJ Gaines and Mike
1: Evans. Yeah. It's funny the... Charles Harris was drafted in 2017 so he probably wasn't doing anything. Cody Ely's not anymore? I'm going to have to look that up real quick.
0: I want, I don't think he is. I don't think he is. I, I could be wrong. I could um, be wrong too. I'm not sure. But despite the fact that yeah, I mean he was uh he was in the XFL in 2020. Yeah. Okay. Was it last last played in the NFL in 2018. Yeah. I mean, a second round pick as well. Strange. Yeah. It's strange to see all the guys on this team who man, if I was I was buying stock in a lot of these guys. I would have
1: said, for well, sure. You can't buy stocks in humans, so I mean that's a weird oh, thing, Connor. Oh, yes you can. It's 2010. <laughs> <laughs> You're on fire today. Second time. Ooh. If I was drinking something, I would have spit that out. You guys, <laughs> if you, if you, <laughs> I know this is coming out on Sunday, but do yourself a favor, go back and look at Connor's comment on, on Lonzo Ball's weightlifting form from Friday, because my God, I, between you and Will, I haven't laughed that hard in I don't know how long. I was crying. <laughs> Is it, Lonzo Ball put out? Hold on, we'll talk about it real quick. I, I thought about this for a solid ten minutes of how how we would be able to tie this in, and we there's no way we could. There's no way. And and but Lonzo Ball <laughs> Lonzo Ball came out with this this video of him working out, and you know here it makes sense because we're talking about the NFL Combine a little bit earlier. Yeah, sure. But but he's benching what he says is two twenty five, which there's no way those plastic circular weights, rounded off weights, weigh two twenty five, and he's like I won't do this. Two twenty-five. It's too light. It's too light, baby. Too late. It's like, bro, you did it five times. And you, oh, just go watch the video. It's incredible. With bad form,
0: the shoulder press. The the shoulder press is, is bad. It's really bad. Yeah. His wrist, wrist. His bent. wrist
1: did a TikTok dance in the middle of the of the rep. It was it was that bad.
0: Bent arms. I mean, just Ugh. awful form. Anyway. Awful form. Anyway, the thing. Yeah, hold on, you...
1: real quick, real quick. The last the last rep he did on the shoulder press. <laughs> he, said, he said, "Well, will put a disclaimer out like you have to watch this video before you watch yes, this to. podcast." But like he, when the last one, he like paused before like the last like ugh before he got it up, but he never locked his arms, so it's like, why'd you even pause? Like, just call yeah. that the rep anyway.
0: Bad workout video. Love, love me some bad workout videos. The thing that you didn't know slash remember until rewatching slash researching this. I had forgotten in this game that Manziel was banged up. Yeah, thought that this was just kind of like, eh, you know, you suffer that second loss, that third loss. You're not competing for Heisman National Championship. It's easy to kind of look back on this and assume, yeah, maybe his head just kind of wasn't right. Right. Um, but he came in with a thumb injury. He took some shots in this game. I mean, there was there was points in this game where I'm like, he definitely should he be getting get a concussion test, and or yeah, he should be taking himself out, and he's not going to. They kept showing him wincing on the sidelines too. Say what you want about Johnny Manziel to play in this game, dude was tough. I mean, it no, was yeah, tough. There no was doubt, no
1: need, there was no need to play in this game. Like, yeah, I, I think that is something that we forget about him because he wasn't a big guy, but he he definitely the kid's a gamer, man.
0: It's like a beating.
1: Yeah, and and I think that. Uh, like, there was something on the line. So, it, it like, I forgot, I think somebody said this during the broadcast, but it, or maybe somebody, some one time said this about Manziel. but like, there was something on the line. So, it was like everything was on the line. Yeah. You know what I mean? When I'm the write losing team. That t-
0: that's a really good quote. Yeah, that's good. Deep, real deep. When the losing team blew it, there was the key play at the end of the game. There, this, this game followed, um, a back-and-forth that was a little bit surprising because AM and their, their defense was bad. I mean, bad yeah. this year. But on this day, their defense was good. And they, they were bottling up James Franklin, and it was a rough go for a while for the Mizzou offense. And yeah. finally, when they got that touchdown from Washington, it felt like kind of their, their breakthrough moment. But... AM comes back, just storms back, and had this great drive. I mean, a a peak AM 2012-2013 drive where they just march right down the field and they tie it up. And there's three fourteen left. Yeah. Mizzou is facing third and one on their own 43-yard line, which it's is a beautiful. dicey. It's a dicey spot at the end of the game if you don't pick this up. We see this run where Henry Josie, Gets it, and he just busts right through the middle, right through the middle of that AM defensive line. They had the breakdown that they had been kind of – Mizzou had been kind of waiting for all day. Their season-long tackling issues finally surface, and Josie just shoots through, and Brent's call, hello, touchdown. Yeah. Little, little hat tip to old Keith Jackson there. Yeah. Picked up on that. That was good. He had, oh, he also said uh, a 57-yard lightning bolt by a young man you find yourself pulling hard for. Yeah. Why, why did he say that? You ask. Henry Josie's story is pretty unique. Oh God. We have no. This isn't like oh, this is like a bad thing.
1: Yes, uh, I. This is well. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because
0: usually, if you hear that from from Musburger on a broadcast, who is a capital J journalist to a yeah. T. Henry Josie had uh, a good career up until, you know, through 2011. He had two seasons, I guess, yeah, 2011 and then again in 2013, where he had 1,100 rushing yards. But he missed all of 2012 with this serious knee injury. Now, I think we're a little bit numb to serious knee injuries in this day and age because we think, ah, torn ACL. We've seen Adrian Peterson come back from it. No big deal. This was not a torn, just a torn ACL. Mizzou Mizzou trainer said that this injury that Henry Josie suffered during a game was in 26 years unlike anything that he had ever seen. One in a million injury. He had to fix the meniscus and he had cartilage, uh, the patellar tendon and the MCL and ACL all torn. Basically just like needed a whole new knee. Gary Pinkle, who never gives out game balls to specific players, did so in 2013 in Henry Josie's debut. I mean, just a kid that, like, the rehab to have to go through that, to play the running back position in the SEC, that had to suck. That rehab was probably hell for that kid. And for him to get that clinching moment where he gets a 57-yard touchdown run Mm -hmm. to clinch a division title for Mizzou, awesome, awesome moment. Place went nuts.
1: It was I remember when that happened, and it happened in twenty twelve, right?
0: The injury happened in twenty twelve. Yeah.
1: So yet another thing that goes wrong for that team that year. And I remember, I remember this like this almost like desperate like feeling from like or like sentiment from Jeff, and he's like, "It's just like what else can go wrong? Yeah. Like what else can possibly go wrong for this team?" And and it just it was so disheartening to see because that kid's a good kid, man. Henry Josey was a good kid, and he was a good running back, like a very good running back that didn't get enough credit, especially in that offense. The stupid ass offensive line. Spots. Not
0: a lot of running lanes for him. For most. <laughs> no! of
1: No. <that> <laughs> like I'll, I'll, I'm gonna go back today and and get some tape of some of these old games and send them to you, and you're gonna watch all of them. But of like it was just it was like what do you like? You know how like sometimes offensive linemen they they would go. I remember they would go up to the line, and they would hold out their arms like this, and just like fingertip touch each other like that stupid painting. And it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's like, stop what you're doing, you weirdos. Um, but no, it, it, it was it was a really disheartening thing because you, you see you you watch this kid and you, and you don't ever want anyone to get injured. But I, I believe this was his second injury too. This was not like th- this this comeback. I, I want to say he had another another significant injury. I don't. Maybe I'm wrong. But either way, it was it was it was a really cool moment and and, and to see him, especially on third and one, because it was that that game. A- A&M comes back and scores with 10 minutes to go in the fourth. And then has, like you said earlier, a lot of opportunities to win this game.
0: Yes. Had plenty. Oh, man. Had plenty. And both teams just kind of struggled. Struggled from that point until yeah. this, this run finally happened. Josie actually left Mizzou early with a year of eligibility remaining. 5'8", 194 pounds. we right at 4'43". I mean, dude was quick. Unfortunately, one of those declared early, undrafted guys, practice squad guy in the NFL. I don't blame that kid one bit for leaving early, given what he had gone through. And having a play like this, who knows how how maybe that could have impacted his NFL draft decision to say, you know what, i got to be able to capitalize on this now. There is no guarantee that I'm going to be able to hold up and play another season in college. Don't blame Uh that kid for doing what he did. All right. This is the part you're going to hate. So. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but we have to go down this road. The what would have happened afterwards if the result was flipped. If the result is flipped, South Carolina goes to the SEC championship as the East winner instead of Mizzou. Does South Carolina present Auburn a tougher challenge? Now, this Mizzou defense, which was really, really good, led up 59 points to Auburn. I mean, Auburn ran right down their throat. Trey Mason ran... Trey Mason ran for over 300 yards in that yep. game. I mean, as great as the Mizzou defense was, and I don't know how much this game maybe maybe took the wind out of their sails, or they just didn't have enough to be able to turn around on this quick of notice, because Auburn put it to them. Yeah. Does South Carolina give Auburn a better fight? Maybe. It doesn't matter. Here's why it could. South Carolina was on fire, as we had said earlier. Had yeah. just beat Clemson by a couple scores. I, I reached out to my buddy Brad Crawford, who, uh, in terms of South Carolina stuff, like he is my guy. Like he knows yeah. all things South Carolina. Yeah. And he said there's a lot of South Carolina fans who believes that with a senior Connor Shaw, who probably South Carolina's best quarterback of the 21st century, probably. Who's a um, Dylan kid? Dylan Moses is a linebacker for Alabama, Marley. Dylan
1: Thompson, I think is what his name was. Yeah. Uh,
0: if, if Connor Shaw is not the best, he, he's certainly up there. As a senior, yeah. too. Auburn was riding high, hadn't lost to South Carolina since 1933, though. Brad said, no, he would not have bet on South Carolina to win that yeah. game. But just for fun, and fun for me, not as much for you. <laughs> if South Carolina wins that game against Auburn, Bama gets into the national championship. No, they don't. They get into the national championship because no. who else gets
1: in? I don't know, Connor. I remember that season. I was, I got, I was unemployed. They were the end th- of twenty thirteen.
0: They were number three in the BCS oh rankings after com- conference championship weekend. Oh, you're right. You're so right. Does Bama beat Jameis after with that historically yes. good Florida State team who had killed yes. everybody?
1: Yes. They get their one loss, and you give Saban forty days to prepare, and he had, n- and he's never lost. I don't care, like. People will sit here and say that I'm being a homer. I, I have said from the moment that, not going to say it, the moment that effing Trey Matthews decided he didn't want to knock down a Hail Mary pass and go for the interception, that, that's, I hate this so much. So I have found they, they way... that game a thousand percent in my opinion, because simply of the, because of the fact that they had, they had they had never lost with that much time off. First off, that's that's the BCS era. So that last BCS national championship they had never lost that much time off. You have a former assistant. All of these things that we talk about constantly now. Bam was on a free roll
0: too. Bam was on a free roll. It's almost like the 2017 thing all over again, where all of a sudden, yes, you had just lost this devastating game to Auburn, but hey, you've got new life. You can still win a national championship. They were ranked number three in the BCS standings after that. So that's what makes me think and i didn't realize this at the time 2011
1: is a better example
0: probably yeah fair okay fair fair enough but different when they yeah yeah i mean coming off of that loss though and again it would have taken south carolina beating auburn in the sec championship which there's no guarantee that that happens but isn't it crazy to think about what could have potentially changed with a game like this which we don't look back on this game and think think that this changes the course of history, or Florida State was just on a different level than everybody else that year, or yeah. anything like that. But it's amazing how you can connect the dots yeah. and wonder what if.
1: That is amazing, Connor.
0: Are you are you gonna punch me or?
1: No, it's fine. I mean, I can't see you right now. All right, so it's like, all right, whatever. That's good.
0: That's good. The player image that we'll always remember when thinking of this, um, and this was something I forgot about that happened in. When you watch the broadcast back, you're not going to pick up on this on highlights. But um, if you just watch this watch this game through in its entirety, you hear this is why I like being able to hear some of the in between stuff. And I don't yeah. like I don't necessarily like all the time to do the uh, game in an hour because it's great and it's efficient. But sometimes I like getting some of the in between commentary or hearing yeah. what fans are saying. All that Mizzou fans at the end of this game when they realize it's theirs and it's clinched, they start chanting SEC SEC. Herb Street talking about you know, how Auburn and Mizzou were 2-14 against the SEC last year. Cool, cool moment. And then, as you said earlier, when they they stormed the field, they're about to at least, and Brett says, they said they weren't going to let them storm the field. Good luck with that.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Great moment for Mizzou.
1: Oh, man. So my player image that we'll always remember from this game is uh, earlier in the day when Chris Davis ran back 109 yards. <laughs> 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 And I don't care how that sounds. That's what I, I will remember from this game because I don't remember this game. I was, admittedly, like I think in a blackout and was not in a place that I was gonna I, like. Like it, it takes a lot. There, there's games from we talked about this before, with with Georgia, South Carolina from the debates on South Pod from mm-hmm. 1980 that I was like, oh, I remember this, and then this happened, and this happened, and things before my time. It takes a lot for me to not remember anything from a game. Didn't even know this game was on TV.
0: Yep. I was covering and, uh, I was covering USHL hockey during the middle of this game. That's what I was doing back in I was 2013.
1: Covering up throw up on my shirt, I think, uh, <laughs> and tears and mascara that had run down my face. I'm talking about the mascara, but anyway. Hey, but the
0: good news is after after this, everything got better in the life of Marler. So
1: that's true. That is true. Thank God. That was a tough. I slept in my closet that night. It's it a rough bed, night. Bed
0: was unavailable or I
1: live with this douchebag that had like he would just turn on the T V in the living room at like full blast and just leave it on. That's nice. And I would go out there and turn it off and he would go back and turn it back on. He was just a terrible person, so I would have to like. It was whatever. 2013 sucks. And I can't believe we did this stupid game. Anyway, join us next week. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I, and to, to be to be 100 clear, I did not even realize I didn't connect the no, dots. Didn't either. I should it have. It was my idea. It yeah. It, it took two <laughs> seconds of of watching this and be like, oh boy.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> like like Connor was like, we should do South Carolina, Mizzou, because because like when this happened, double overtime like, game, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, wait a second. Why did we do this game? Whose idea was this? And and I was like, well, this was your idea, Chris. And then, and then I was like, what? Why don't I remember this game? Something's wrong here. It's like, what? <laughs> it's like, like looking at queso. Like, what's that, Lassie? I was having an emotional breakdown. Okay, cool. <laughs> anyway,
0: we got one team left. We got one team left for Vandy. Should we maybe do a Jordan Rogers game?
1: We need to get Jordan Rogers on here. We do. We do. Yep, we have, yep, we have a couple of.
0: We have a couple of vanity things to do on this podcast in the very near future. Is the first shame. It's the first time I've ever said that. That's yeah, I could promise you that. Um, this was fun. Hopefully, That's everybody fun. has enjoyed the podcast all week. The Herschel versus George, versus George Rogers stuff, the Casual Friday birthdays pod. Um, hopefully, everybody has enjoyed this. Yeah. Uh, please give us a five star review. We should read we had, five star reviews had... on Casual Friday sometime soon.
1: I think we, we, we have some new ones. It.
0: We do have some new ones. We'll read those uh, Casual Friday. We'll read them Casual Friday next week. How about that? Okay, I plan on good. doing that. Right. Um, if you have not yet, leave us a five-star review. Go follow us on all of our social media accounts at SDS, at SEC Football, at Vern Funquist, at C.J. O'Gara.
1: Man, maybe don't follow me on Twitter right now. Eh, all,
0: all right. Break. Put it on the to-do list. Do it there in like a go. month or so. Yeah. Um, James Franklin, uh, Maddie Mock, what do we need to remember? It just means more.